Hey friends, welcome to the Wild and Free podcast, where we combine our love of great coffee with an even greater purpose, to make a difference in the lives of those affected by human trafficking. I'm Twyla, owner of Wild Ginger Coffee and host of these life-changing conversations. In today's episode, I sit down with Megan from the intersection in BC. Megan has over a decade of experience in the fair and direct trade industry with her husband, Dane. Her passion to see justice for the least of these began with boots on the ground contact and research in Kenya and Tanzania. This passion grew into a BC-based business, The Intersection, that sources fair and direct trade goods from across the globe. Her small business gives Megan the platform to share her expertise on the systemic issues that enable human trafficking in Canada and around the world, and how to combat them through responsible consumption and job creation. We are so lucky to have her on the podcast today. You don't even know, you are not going to want to miss a minute of this. So make sure you listen all the way to the end so you can learn more about our partnership with them and how you can get involved and look good doing it. Enjoy. Welcome to the Wild and Free podcast, Megan. This has been something I have wanted to do uh, with you on here since I started emailing you and your company a little while back. So it is super exciting to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I am super glad to be here. Yeah, I feel like we've had um, an email friendship. So it's <laughs> nice to see you and it's nice to have this conversation with you. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners, just give us a little bit of a sense for who you are and how you fill your days. Yeah, for sure. Um, My name is Megan. I live just outside of Vancouver in BC. Um, I am married almost 15 years and I have two sons. Um, They are almost 10 and almost eight. And then my husband and we run a business called The Intersection Fair Trade. And so it's a We have a warehouse and we run a retail shop as well as a coffee shop, screen printing and candle production. Oh my gosh. Amazing. And all of our merchandise um, as of now, I mean, all, we only have a few things. (laughs) We're starting small, but all of it comes from your company and we absolutely love it. And um, we just like fell in love with the heart of your company, obviously. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about the heart behind your company and then also kind of how this coffee part of it fits into your kind of retail line of of items that you have? How do those fit together? Sure. So we have been in business almost 10 years, which is, it seems like not that long. I mean, that's a long time. And we, so my husband and I, we were living in Australia a long time ago, and we were with an organization called Youth with a Mission, and we were doing a lot of development projects in places like Indonesia and Papua New Guinea, Um, and we just, we started to see community development in a different way, and we started to feel just a little bit frustrated with going and like building a water well and then leaving and not feeling like we really connected with the community um, and not really listening to what they needed. It was kind of like, this is how we feel we can help, but not really sure of what they needed. And so, yeah, 10 years ago, we were invited to Kenya and Tanzania with a friend of ours. 
And on that trip, we met women who were making jewelry and they were hired by the Salvation Army and they kind of, they started this income generating project in the community. And we honestly just fell in love immediately. Like we, my husband and I, we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, (laughs) beautiful model of community development. They had these 80 women all working together and through this project, their kids were going to school. They had food, they were able to provide for them. They, they had all contributed to a clinic in the community and it was just this beautiful beautiful picture and in that moment honestly we just bought jewelry we brought it home um we sold jewelry and from then on we kind of never looked back and then the coffee piece so um yeah go forward nine years we opened our first like street front retail space and my husband and i being in australia and just traveling the world coffee has always been such a huge part of connection the direct trade coffee movement so ensuring that the farmers are well taken care of and that they're connected to the roasters and the people who are selling the beans on this side and we just started to learn a little bit more about the coffee industry and we knew we wanted to invest in it in a in a yeah just a positive way and so we decided why not open a coffee bar <laughs> We're just renting retail space and not really sure that we wanted to build a cafe. So we actually went with the mobile, um, yeah, the mobile cart because we do a lot of pop-up events too. And we're like, oh, we can just bring the coffee with us. And so that's kind of how we got into coffee, not really knowing what we were getting ourselves into, (laughs) but we figured it out. And now um, we actually just completed our Kickstarter. So we're extending our little coffee cart into a caravan. So it's a little more mobile. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit more like where, so where do you get your coffee from? Like, I just know for us, like sourcing was a huge job. And I mean, we're going to talk more about this, but finding and sourcing the products that you want to sell when you are concerned about where they come from and who's making them is an extremely like long and laborious effort how did you do that with the coffee end of things like i feel like this could be potentially controversial to whoever's <laughs> listening over the last decade we have just learned so much about fair trade and living wages i guess is where we'll land mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. even in the in the fair trade system in the coffee world it's not always the most ethical we've mm-hmm. I have traveled a lot. We've met the farmers and we've connected with people overseas and we've been well involved in the Fair Trade Canada movement and with the Fair Trade Canada team. Um, and yeah, through all of our learning, we have decided for us, we really love the direct trade model. And so when we started at sourcing, that's where we started. Who is doing direct trade coffee? Who knows their farmers? What the farmers are being paid and how they're being taken care of and the community development side of their investment and we connected with Palette Coffee here in Vancouver. We yeah, we partner with them and we we love them. We love how they operate their business, we love their values, everything about yeah. them. That's awesome. And that's the thing like yeah, for us it was very much like we want and and I mean we kind of have named it <laughs> transparent trade because again like the almost this term of fair trade has like lost some of its clout with me because it's like okay but it's almost like all natural you can stamp that on something if it's like a certain percentage and it I just got to a point where I was like the only way to know that your product is you know coming from people who are being treated fairly is to know the people (laughs) but that is not an easy thing to do right and so becoming trying to become like as a roaster or like a coffee company trying to become that 
person that we're, we are doing, like we're working as hard as we can to know, which is exactly what you guys are doing with your products to know where they're coming from. So that like, we are now the person that people are trusting because not everyone can go. This is why what you guys are doing at the intersection is like, so, so important. Um, maybe just slow down that process of getting from so we were in Kenya and we were going to do this. And then we now we're 10 years in and we have all of these things just because we often like I, I'm willing to bet there's people listening who want to do something but don't know where to start. I know. I know what you mean. When I started the business, I would look for the people who were, you know, 10 years ahead of me and be like, oh, it looks so easy and they're so successful. And you don't know any of their story. And it, it is really hard to to not hear the hard moments and the in-betweens and yeah, for us, it's been a really, a really slow journey, like from going from looking back at Kenya and Tanzania 10 years ago until now, it's been a very slow journey of movement for us. Like we've physically moved a lot. Um, we've traveled a lot, but even within the lower mainland, a lot of moving of our family. Um, it's a lot of communication. It's been a lot, an incredible amount of emails and um, connecting with other groups who are making sure that everything is ethically made. For a long time, we only purchased product from um, groups that we had spent time with and could absolutely tell our customer how it was made and who it mm -hmm. was made by that. Obviously, COVID has changed things. Um, but yeah, from 10 years ago until now, it's just been a very slow and intentional, who else can we support is kind of how we've approached it. And it was probably seven years ago that we that we heard the term human trafficking, which really did pivot our business, because up until then, we were focused on that fair trade stamp that meant so much to us and gone through that certification process. And fair trade in Canada, as you know, is quite far behind the rest of the world. And so connecting with groups that are fair trade certified was actually quite difficult. And without, um, like Instagram was a thing when we started, but not really. And so easier to connect with those groups over those social media platforms. But back then, I mean, Google, Google was a thing, but not like it is now. Yeah. <laughs> and so when we heard about human trafficking, that was a pivoting moment for us to realize that that fair trade stamp, it does mean so much, but there's also this whole world of social enterprise and job creation for people who are so marginalized that mm -hmm. aren't in fair trade world because they don't have the means to get that certification. And these groups that we were hearing about were just like five women over here and 10 women over here and 15 women over here and just these like little sewing centers. And so we began to intentionally go and visit them and hear their story. And those are the groups that we started switching our purchasing um, to. And so we began to invest in them and partner with them and create product through them. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And the um, just want to stop and spend a little bit of time on the, the fair trade in Canada. What does that actually look like? And when you say it's behind a lot of the rest of the world, like break that down a little bit. What does that mean? Because again, it's that idea, like we hear fair, fair trade is almost a buzzword and it's lost a little bit of it. It's not that it's not a good thing. It's just that we don't really understand what that means. Yeah, we, I mean, I can, I can speak from my experience and what we understand, but 
when you're in Europe or the USA, you can walk into most big box stores and find something with the stamp and buy something. So when we talk about fair trade, there's kind of two categories. You're looking at your farmers and producers, and then you're looking at the handicraft world. So those, those are approached differently from the fair trade people that are in power <laughs> because the farming is easier to certify fair trade because they're people producing a certain product, whereas the handicrafts, when you start bringing in all these materials and all the components, it's hard to know where the metal's from, where the cotton's from. And it's just a lot, there's a lot more steps and a lot more material involved. Um, and so in Canada, you've probably seen this, that it's just harder to track down in the coffee, tea, chocolate, sugar. Those things are easier to get your hands on in Canada, not easier than anywhere else in the world, but just for Canada. Mm -hmm. But and then as 10,000 villages is essentially shut down and moved out of Canada, it's even harder. But across Canada, there are not many stores that are just dedicated to um, ethical product. There's lots of stores that have like one line or one type of thing. But in the U.S., there are just so many stores that are dedicated um, to ethical product and same across Europe. And so I my husband and I have always felt that Canada is just a little bit behind. And for mm -hmm. us, it's very difficult to source ethically made goods from wholesalers in Canada. Like it's, it almost doesn't exist. Yeah. Which That's I was going to say, how difficult is it for you to get like the materials or like the things that you need into Canada? Like half the time stuff doesn't even ship to Canada. And you're like, how am I like even our coffee has to go like to the US and we have to ship it across the border to us, like from our, um, from our growers, like from our farmers. And it's like, how is there not enough? Is there not enough of a market in Canada? What, what is happening? Why are we not doing this? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think a lot of it is the cost of importing. And if anyone in the government is listening, <laughs> work on this. <laughs> Yeah, we have a couple of things we would like to suggest on importing. Because <laughs> yeah. our importing so high and our shipping costs to Canada are so high. And as a fair trade business, you're already cutting costs because we're prioritizing people mm -hmm. and we're the environment. And with that comes extra costs in which we fully are aware of getting into this business. And we're yeah. glad funds that way. But when you're dealing with the overhead that we seem to have in Canada, it almost is impossible to really get traction with the fair trade business or diversify and open other businesses to kind of float the fair trade side. I would like to say that I think it's going to change, but we haven't seen movement. Um, it is one thing that my husband and I eventually, we hope to, to be able to get into is influencing maybe some of these decisions from the government when we're talking about product made by the most marginalized people in the world. It would be nice to see some breaks. It would be nice yeah. to access these goods because I know other small businesses would love to incorporate some ethically made goods, but mm -hmm. it's prohibitive. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's so challenging because then you also are trying to turn around and sell these these products and you're trying to keep them at a price that people will pay because that's a whole other side of it is convincing people that it is worth this money like that they're spending. And, and then it's so frustrating when a lot of those when you're having to pay these high fees into things where you're like, this is not where I want our money or the money that could be going to the people who are producing these products. And it's going here. 
and it's driving up the price of our product to the point where people feel like they're unable to buy it. That's a whole other conversation. How we think about how we shop for things. I mean, we use the phrase, I can't afford it a lot. Um, and it doesn't, isn't often necessarily true. It's I'm making a choice. For sure. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so I, one of the, I mean, I, one of the reasons I was really excited to have you on the podcast in this particular season um, is just because your company has been going through a transition period, which like completely grabbed my attention because as a company that when you're trying to, to run a company that's intentional and not just, you know, marketing human trafficking as a sales technique or you know any of these things you, you have to make some really tough decisions and sometimes that means revamping some things and feeling like you're maybe walking backwards a little bit or whatever it is and can you yeah walk us through what this season has and is looking like for you and why it is so important for you to have taken this step in your company after all of these years? Yeah. I mean, ever since we opened our first retail store three years ago, it's been, I feel like pivoting is the banner over us. And I think when we boil down our business and everything we do, people are at the heart of it and our commitment is to them. And so whatever we need to do on this side to continue purchasing from them and supporting um, the organizations that are helping them seek freedom, that's what we're going to do. And so our team is committed to that. And so when any obstacle comes our way, that's, that's kind of when we buckle down and say, well, our commitment is to these people. And so what needs to change mm. or to free up creativity or whatever it may look like to help support them. And so with our first retail shop, cause we've moved. Um, so our, our neighbors actually had a fire, which caused a flood in our unit. Oh, wow. we actually had to close down for six weeks and do all the renos. We, and it was actually, so the night of the fire was when our coffee cart was approved by um, Fraser health here. So we got the stamp on the cart that we could open the next day. And that night it oh was my shut. Gosh. So <laughs> you're like, can we catch a break? <laughs> so we reopened and two weeks later, COVID hit. And oh as a team, this, this is one of these moments that we're like, okay, we allocate this much towards rent and the overhead of the store. And right now with COVID and nobody really like really knowing what it was going to look like, we knew that we needed to get out of our lease because we could just see a few months down the road and we didn't want to tie up our finances in the overhead, but we want, we needed to be able to support our artisans. Mm -hmm. And so we closed our store and my kids' school, well, everyone in Canada was homeschooling at that point. So we were yeah. running this, this kind of off my washing machine in this little corner of my house while I was homeschooling the kids. Um, and so we did that from April until November of last year. And we didn't even have an online presence at that time, like kind of, but we were doing maybe about $50 a month in online sales, like almost yeah. nothing to build this online presence and then last december a friend of ours offered us the top level of a warehouse at, for a pop-up for a month they're like it's empty it's yours if you want it would you like it and we're like absolutely so we came in and we popped up for the month we loved it so much we decided uh to stay and wow. so we saw now we're almost at the one year mark um over the last few months just this pivoting again because covid it seems like it hits us and then it hits the developing world. At least that's how the media kind of makes it seem and kind of what workers on the ground. Um, and again, we came to this point of we are like we're we're selling goods in the store and things are going well for us. But 
for our partners, it's becoming like it's becoming a little bit scary because people are canceling orders and there's just not enough product coming out of places like India and Nepal and Bangladesh to really support them. And so we pivoted to free up funds to continue to support them even when receiving product because again, our commitment really is to them. And so it kind of got us over the last probably six weeks. Um, and even still, as we enter this Christmas season, there's a lot of our groups that aren't able to ship to us. And so as a team right now, we're just navigating how do we support our artisan partners when we're not receiving product? Because we do believe in business over charity, 100%. Mm. <laughs> Preach. Just what does that look like in this want them to feel like we're extending charity by financially supporting them? And so we're actually looking at product that we can order next fall, like paying for it now, but ordering it for when, for when COVID and shipping and stuff settles down. What we're seeing now is our groups are going back, but because of all the shipping issues, which I don't know if it's affected your business, um, it's just causing this like global slowdown of product and they can't actually get to us, even though it's, some of it is sitting there. So that it's a little bit different than even a month ago where they could ship product out because now mm. or when we'll be able to receive that. So I love that my team, our team is just so committed to people. And I love these moments where, although really difficult, not really sure where we're headed at times, there's just this togetherness in we're here to work with people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's honestly like it's so it's and the reason it's so hard is because it's absolutely countercultural. It's counter to the way that we can just consume like we're such a consumeristic society. And and that is ingrained in our thinking that the thing I need or what I need to do or the money I need to make is more important than the people that I may have to walk over, exploit, ignore, not think about in order to. XYZ. And it's so easy for us to to compartmentalize it. But it's like to be running a business like, yeah, we're, we're about the people. And that is going to cost you some money. It's going to cost you some sleep. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you a, a lot of things. Because when that is the thing that's most important, it's not always going to maybe feel super successful all the time in the eyes of everyone around you but that just depends on how you're defining <laughs> what's important right and you guys have I mean I absolutely commend you for what you are doing like that is inspiring to me to be like no you have to keep like taking a good hard look at why you started and what it is that you are trying to do and what is important and at all costs because the reason that we are where we are today with exploited everything and everyone is that we have stopped looking at <laughs> where things come from. And it's not that um, I always say that like quality is is expensive. And that's usually the reason people use not to go for <laughs> um, things that are made ethically. But quantity is also expensive, just not for me. It's expensive for somebody else. It costs them their livelihood they're everything. So we really have to change the way that we think about it. And it like having companies like the intersection um, is absolutely like, we need you. <laughs> Please don't quit. <laughs> you know, like, I know it's hard, like it has to be, but like, we need to start thinking this way in business, business over charity. Like these are people with dignity. 100%. Yeah. Deeply inspired by the people 
that we have connected with overseas and just their work ethic and their creativity. Some of my favorite moments are standing in those workshops with the women and watching them create because they are just, they're so creative with even the little mm-hmm. and just this desire to make and this desire to work. And it's so, it's just so inspiring. And yeah, because of, because of all the faces in my brain and all the women that I have, I don't think we could ever, like, we just can't quit. We just, I couldn't. It's because they're real people. It's not this, it's not this far away thing of, you know, somebody somewhere that I don't know. These people would have become to feel like friends and family to you. Yeah. And we're well aware, like, I, I don't want to come off like, oh, we're saving all these people because it isn't about mm. that. All we work with have many, many buyers. Like, we're one of 25 or plus companies that are buying from them. They just, for us, they feel like family. I just have seen the positive impact of business charity too many times to to say it isn't real or to ignore it. And we that's, that's how we want to invest. We just want to invest in business. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the um, the biggest challenges and maybe some of the joys or like things that make you want to keep going? And you, I mean, probably what you just talked about there is part of it um, is seeing the women's faces and knowing them as people. But yeah, what are some of the things that have been really hard and maybe some of the things that have been really rewarding? Yeah, I think, I mean, hard right now would be obviously the world with COVID is this massive obstacle. Um, I would also say finding staff. We get a lot of volunteers and I love them dearly. Um, Finding, because we operate like a family here and um, just finding the right people to work with and that we all kind of jive together. Um, And challenges for sure being in Canada presents just all sorts of like business challenges. Yeah, and then positive things for sure is just hearing the women's stories and connecting with them, hearing about the organizations, being able to take on a few more women. And during COVID, like some of our partners have grown and they've been able to hire more. And I just, I think it's just amazing. And during lockdowns, a lot of them moved to um, making masks for the community and just hearing those stories of them going out and donating these masks, story after story after story of generosity and just incredible. But yeah, I love, I love to see the growth. I love to hear the stories of new stores picking up their product. Um, I love when they send me WhatsApp photos and videos of new designs that they've come up with. I love like when our team is able to travel again with COVID, we haven't been, but, um, yeah, just to get them experiencing different parts of the world, different cultures and being part of the design process. I love, love, love being part of the design process and, um, yeah, just lots of great stories around that. That's, that's so beautiful. And like, it's just, I mean, I, I've spent some time in different places around the world. When you meet with somebody and you sit down and you hear their story, it's impossible to walk away and and think of them as anything less than a human being that should be. You know, you'd be like, no, I would never expect, you know, someone who's a part of my family to work or be treated poorly or not paid. You know, that would make me upset. So being able to give your yeah, your staff and like your family here, a chance to kind of meet your family there. It's like this, this network of people and it feels maybe small and spread out at times, but there are, I think more and more companies. And I think maybe one of the challenges is again, convincing people (laughs) 
but making people see the the beauty and, and that it's worth it to buy ethically and to pay attention to to what they're buying um and i think we all have reasons or things that discourage us from from buying consciously or ethically or intentionally whether that's cost or accessibility but what would you say um to some of our listeners um, or even me who might be in a place of wanting to make better choices but they are overwhelmed um buyer's anxiety is a thing and you know you don't know you don't know what to buy or where to go or who to believe um where's a good place for people to start yeah no that's a great question and i think for consumers it's really it's really frustrating with all the greenwashing that goes on, all the words that are thrown out about sustainability and organic, mm -hmm. ethical. And you just get to this point. It's like, what does any of that actually mean? <laughs> okay, if you get rid of all the words, like what, what are you mm -hmm. actually, what does ethical mean to you? Or what does sustainable mean to you? Or environmentally friendly. And we as consumers, we spend that extra money because we believe the company that is saying those things and that's put it on the label. And so it's all it's a really difficult place to be because what do we do? And most of us don't have the capacity to spend five hours researching things. And where do we even research really? Because mm -hmm. view 18 million things off of one question. And so yeah. where do you, um, and so, yeah, I would say, you know, you start small customers here. I recommend because almost everybody spends quite a bit of money on clothing. I would say that's kind of the big thing. We're aware like of chocolate, We'll say a lot of people that I know have switched over to ethical chocolate and that's great or ethical coffee. Again, that's great. But clothing is something that we spend so much money on and it is so bad for the environment and for the garment workers. I mean, it is so hard on their health and their physical well-being and the children that are in the garment industry. It's, it's heartbreaking. Mm. One industry that I would say like spend your time researching and investing well, it would be in your clothing. So we have some resources online on our website and I, there's some other resources that I can actually pass on to you um, yeah. where they can start doing some research. But the idea of like a capsule wardrobe or an ethical closet, I would say that's a really great place to start, even with one article of clothing mm -hmm. or one shirt that you know is ethically made. Um, and then once you start doing your research and once you start purchasing from one company, you'll even notice on your social media because the algorithm is just so fantastic. Uh, it'll start giving you other companies to check out and to look at. But mm -hmm. the organization is a great place to get some information. Fairtrade Canada does have some good information. The Fairtrade Federation in the U.S. is a great website to spend some time on. Um, but even I would say start with understanding what these words mean like what does mm. organically mean what does organic mean in what does it mean in your food and what does it mean in clothing what does it mean in soccer balls what does it i mean the list can go on and on and on but um yeah having that understanding so when you go to do your research and you're going to look at the different companies you're having a different understanding of what these words that are being thrown at you what they actually mean mm. And, and I think too, like, why are they important? Why does it matter? Right? Why does it matter that something is, is fair trade or whatever, you know, because again, they're kind of buzzwords. But when you realize that it means that somebody's child got to go to school today, because they were able to make a living wage, making an article of clothing that you now wear, like, we have to understand, you know, we have to 
we do a lot of things without knowing why we do them. And <laughs> I think it'll stick if we know, understand why, why it's important. And that's why I think it's so great that people get to listen in on this conversation with you because you have sat with these women and, and these people are um, real people, you know, and, and it makes a difference, like a tangible difference in their lives. So, and I think, I think we can understand the money aspect. Like we can understand some, like a living wage and people are being underpaid and we can even understand children who are working and not going to school. But one piece that I have found that people don't really consider is the the physical health of the person mm. who is working, what the toll takes on their body, especially for children, when they're hunched over a sewing machine for 14 hours a day, what does that mean? And when they're breathing in chemicals, and I'm not talking just a little bit, like we're talking 12, 14 hours a day, six days a week, like what does that do for their, for their little bodies in an unventilated space and it it really does cause permanent long-term damage and it is so dirty that industry and there are so many people who get very sick from that and so i mean you have just so many areas of concern from the finances to the kids to the lack of health care to the poor working conditions and mm -hmm to think holistically about that we can't just boil it down to oh someone isn't being paid fairly that is right. one of consider like there isn't quality of life in any in any aspect and right. it's really sad that we continue to invest in that like actively every day if we stopped at the end of the day and thought about how we spent our money period i think we would come to see that we actually invest in a lot of unethical business practices on a daily basis we really need to stop and think about how we're spending our money because we in North America and in the global West, we hold a lot of purchasing power and can make a, a huge mm. difference if we shifted how we spent our money and slowed down in our consumption. Yeah. I was just, I was just thinking that like, if you slow down long enough to think about why you're buying what you're buying and maybe buy, you know, more things or sorry, less things that are more expensive and you'd be like, I'm really spending probably the same amount of money or if I really only bought what I actually needed <laughs> I could probably pay a little bit more for it and get it from somewhere you know there's just it's all these things that we everything's so quick and we're making snap decisions and we're buying you know I'd rather have you know 10 of this shirt for like this five dollar shirt I'll buy 10 of them and then they like sit in our closet and we're like well I can't afford fair trade and it's like well I don't know <laughs> like Maybe if we slow, yeah, slowed it down and really got intentional, which is you guys are spending a lot of time being intentional about where the products are coming from. And we need to, those of us who are consuming, need to slow down long enough to think about what we're buying and why we're buying it and where we're buying it from. I'm like, honestly, I have so many shirts from you guys, partially <laughs> because there were a few times that we had some merch orders and we didn't quite make the minimum. So I was like, okay, I'll just like buy. I literally bought the like long sleeve shirt in like every color and I am not lying when I say that every single time like I'm wearing one right now like every single time that I put one on I think about it like I am just like I know that this was made actually I forget where are the long sleeve ones made in Haiti as well 
as the sweaters. Okay, yeah. correct. I'm like, I'm about to tell a lie on air. It's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it on and I'll be like, oh my gosh, like I can like picture the women like actually working and the men and like working in this, this like boutique factory that's like a real job and they're taking care of. And I was just like, I don't even, I just want to wear this all the time. And I feel good about it. And I don't even once think about, like, I don't even remember what I paid for it. Like, I don't even care. Because <laughs> that's the thing. You forget about that eventually. And what you're left with is your product and, and kind of how it feels. So, like, honestly, I I just think it's it's a hard, it's a tough conversation to have because we're kind of addicted to our, our stuff and our buying and our, you know, and, and we don't want people to stop buying things because that means they also will stop buying <laughs> fair trade things. It's just think about what you're, think about what you're buying. Just like take a second and think it through because it can make a really big difference as I'm sure that you have seen. I think sometimes we think it's too hard not not to buy one product, but to make a difference. Like, will if I stop buying from Old Navy, is it going to matter? Well, mm. not for one. But collectively, if we all got on board with pushing the bigger companies to do something, mm-hmm. yes. And you look, at, you look at companies like H&M who have horrendous business practices and we all know that and they came out with a conscious line it says conscious clothing on it and you have to wonder why did they do that well i think it's because people are paying attention a little more than they used to yes that's good that they did that but again is it greenwashing or is it actually consciously made is it actually ethical because again it confuses us as consumers what are they getting at um, but I think we do have more power collectively than we realize. Like, I think if we put these companies to pay attention to their business practices, I think things would change. And I, I do think one person can make a difference. And so I do think that there obviously is more power in it if there was a hundred of us. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, let's do better. They have so much purchasing power that we don't, we don't want them to stop as a business, but we want them we want them to do better and they know better. Mm-hmm. So they, sh- and they should be held accountable by us as their consumers to do better. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking too, like, yeah, as one person. So if I, you know, instead of going to one of these larger stores to buy a shirt and I come to the intersection instead and I buy a shirt, so it maybe doesn't make a dent in the big box store. Maybe not my one thing, but it makes a difference to that one person who made that shirt. And that I can be confident of. So it it like it's still making it's still making a difference. We just we're like, well, if we aren't gonna get the store shut down, then what's the point? And it's like, that's not the point. <laughs> that's not the point. You're still making a difference. And we have to be willing to make a difference for one, or we'll never make a we'll never make a difference for millions. Cause it will always start with one person. Just like it started with you ending up in one country with one group of, of artisans making, you had to, you had to go to one first. You didn't see them all at once. A little overwhelming. No. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, how has your perspective or your heart changed from before being involved in the front lines kind of as you are in this ethical <laughs> um, battle? Um, yeah. Are there things that you've learned ideas that have shifted or ways that your heart has maybe been softened or hardened because we know that can happen when we walk into hard places too uh just yeah for better for worse i would say for sure i mean it's gone kind of ebbs and flows (laughs) um 
I think sometimes we feel like when we're in the education sphere of this, it can feel kind of frustrating. Like we keep going back and having the same conversations over and over and over mm -hmm. again. And on this end of the business, but rather living overseas, I didn't encounter that. And so there has been a big shift as we have settled into our business in a more permanent location. Yeah. And I think understanding, so human trafficking, you just touched on that, but as a business, we've always been focused on the human trafficking that happens overseas always. And I always thought that's where we were going to be. And so working with trafficking groups in Cambodia and Thailand and just different places around the world. But over the last couple of years, we've been very intentional about learning about human trafficking here in Vancouver and Canada wide. Um, and so, yeah, and my, my heart has really, I think, just softened or heart. I don't really know. It has definitely changed. It's on, like I've, I've come to understand human trafficking looks really different across the world and mm. learning versus sex trafficking and meeting women here who have been trafficked within Canada and have come out of that and hearing their stories. And I think, I think I used to see human trafficking as like this really far out there thing. And this would always be my place and this is how I would be involved but now like we're doing life with with women who have been exploited and are no longer and so the space that we have here we're actually working towards a vocation training center for women um, and being able to hire them long term and so mm -hmm. we're really focusing on job creation and so with that yeah I think I think it's hard because I'm me and my team are so passionate about it. Why doesn't everybody get this job creation? <laughs> Why doesn't everyone want to hire women? And yeah, I think there are seasons for sure. I get really frustrated and just, you feel alone in it. Being true is there's so many amazing organizations that are doing so much, but you can feel isolated and like this torch to carry, you know, and then there's seasons where you just feel like everyone's collaborating and we're making a difference and we're all in this together and you see progress and different seasons. So right now we are collaborating well with other organizations in Vancouver and having girls come here for training and looking at opening up a job for a girl who needs one, that kind of thing. So it feels, yeah, I'm just excited to see where we're headed. But I think one of the biggest changes has been understanding that human trafficking happens everywhere. It happens in my own backyard mm -hmm. and they're, they're people, they are people who are being exploited. And so I used to feel unsure how I would feel when I met somebody who had been exploited, you know, cause it, it just <laughs> seems such a far out there concept, but yeah, my heart towards the girls definitely like, I love them and mm -hmm. I want to see them free and I want to see them, um, move towards independence and become free of just the awful thing that has happened to them, not by choice. And yeah, does that make sense? It's yeah, kind of no, it does. It's, it's brought it like close to home for you. And no, but I think we need to hear that. Like, and, and the reason I ask people that I ask everyone that's on the podcast, that question, just because I think we can have this misconception that, you know, people who are um, you know, fighting really any kind of social justice thing are just like, you know, their heart like on fire all the time. And they just, you know, they're always like super compassionate and like, oh, like to like everyone all the time. And it's like, no, there are like some seasons where you see some hard things and it can go sideways for a bit. And then, you know, but then you meet, you know, some of the women and you're like, oh man, like, yep, yeah, no, I can keep going. And I think we just, 
I want to kind of flesh that out for people and to see, because again, I think there's a lot of things that hold us back from doing what we can where we are. And I think some of those things are when we hit those, you know, rough patches of where, you know, we kind of harden our hearts to it and go, forget it. Like, there's nothing I can do. And it's like, that's, that's fine. That's normal. You work through that and then you keep going. Um, and yeah, I think that's really cool what you're wanting to do with job creation. That's kind of one of our, that's our heart for down the road too. We're, we're only like a year in, a year and a half in. So we got a long way to go to get to 10 years, but that's, yeah, one of the things we have, you know, wanted from the beginning is to be able to offer a safe job to somebody who wants it, who wants another alternative, another way to make a living and learn how to, you know, integrate back into the world. And yeah, what, um, are there any more kind of future plans of what you'd like to see happen through that with the intersection kind of dreaming a little bit? I am definitely um, the dreamer between my husband and I, and even on the team. And my husband has this beautiful way of bringing in the details and the, how are we going to do this? Which, cause we do work quite well together, but I, um, I would love to see us have like a big box store. I would love to see, fair trade become a little bit more normal and mm. I have big dreams of expanding our education space so right now we do host field trips and we do podcasts and we do educate where we're invited to um, but I would love to see like a whole center set up where people can come and learn about exploitation and they can come and learn about ethical business practices um, as a team or as an individual but I would definitely like to see more product in the Canadian market. And so we're, we're working to do what we can and to connect with the right people and to see that happen. But our, our real, like the, yeah, our future plans are kind of resting around location training center and what that is going to look like. And so we feel like we're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg with that. But we do have some big plans to see that expand um, as well as, potentially accommodation um, for victims of exploitation. We would love to see a, a bigger network of Canadian um, activists and, and social justice businesses and organizations come together. So the Vocation Training Centre for me, I feel like I've been sitting on it for a couple of years and it's been something that's really close to my heart. And so to see it actually kind of get kicked off in the last few months has been probably one of the highlights of, of the decade that I'm in the industry. And I just, I'm just so excited to see where it goes. And I just, I can see, yeah, I can see safe jobs created in Canada. And I just really want to be a part of that and to see that happen. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about the next few years. I mean, COVID aside and all, all the, yeah, hearts, all the things. <laughs> and I, the beginning of our marriage, we've always said, like, what can we hang our hats on? Because things, life does get hard and things can kind of throw you. But we always come back to that. What, at the end of the day, like, what are we hanging our hats on? And this, like, we are here to see people set free from exploitation and to have a safe job. Those, I mean, there's quite a few pillars of the intersection. But at the end of the day, that's what we're hanging our hat on. So everything kind of comes back to that, despite how hard it is. So I look at the next 10 years and I can see the vocation training center and I can hang my hat on the assurance that we're kind of doing what we've set out to do. That's that's awesome. Honestly, I'm excited. And like one of the things I've been thinking, like, I mean, I have this podcast only has a few episodes and probably even fewer listeners. But one of the things I've noticed in the conversations that I've gotten to have with people is 
the opportunity for networking across Canada. Like it is crazy and it has sort of already started and my brain is already like in this turn. I'm also the dreamer. I have like a million ideas a day. They're all great. I can't do all of them. Someone has to be like, no, Twyla, stop. Um, but yeah, it's one of these things where like, I feel this sort of um, shift of like a coming together and a networking of all of these things. So, I mean, I'm like, hey, count me in, like put me in coach. <laughs> like you need, you know, anything at all. Like I, yeah, it, it can feel very lonely, but I am learning with these conversations with people that it is, there is more of a, of a network of people than we realize. And this is not a, a one man show. Like we have got to get in this together and we cannot be competing and we cannot be comparing. We need to everybody bring what they have to the table. I want you to have a box, a big box store. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. <laughs> I, I would, I would come to that, like make it a chain, send it across Canada. So I don't have to go all the way to BC every time. I've never even been to BC. That's goals to come, you know, see where you guys are at for sure. I really would like to come visit. If we could all eliminate the need for like so much research and just make fair trade and ethical goods accessible to the masses, like, I, yeah, I just think that would be incredible. Like as a consumer, I would want to shop there. Like mm -hmm. we're huge believers in survivor led work. And so mm. just being advised by them and challenged by them. And because I don't have lived experience mm -hmm. as somebody, it's absolutely imperative for us. Just really lucky that we can kind of walk alongside them as they lead and kind of inform where the movement is headed. And I think we just need to, all of us who are working in the industry, we need to listen to survivors. And so who better to be running these organizations than people who know what it's like fully to be a part of that and who can speak into that and inspire other people to to make change in the way that they purchase and the way that they live um i always ask everyone on the podcast this question as well um but yeah is there something that you have learned about human trafficking or even more so in your case um ethical business practices that you would just want people to know or understand yeah, two camps, I guess, kind of, I guess human trafficking, I guess for us to understand that happens here and a lot, it's a lot more prevalent than we know. It's important that we're educated on what's happening in Canada with human trafficking and um, yeah, that we just know who's doing what in our country. I think whether we're involved in the movement or not, it's important for us to know and just to have our eyes open to what's happening. I think an ethical business I think we've touched on it, but just that our, our purchasing power means something. We can use our influence and our purchasing power for good or for not. And I think one thing that we talk about as a team is when you know better, do better. Don't think about doing better. Don't, don't play around with the idea, but like, let's actually, let's do better when we know better. We know slavery happens and we know most businesses, bigger businesses have unethical business practices. So let's, let's do something about that individually, but also collectively and mm -hmm. feel like, you know, time is of the essence because things aren't getting better. And with COVID, there's been a lot more pressure in the garment industry, all, all industries. I think, I think we can all do better. Some people say like, we can see slavery eradicated in our lifetime. And, you know, I go back and forth. Do I believe that? Do I not believe that? I don't know really where I stand, but I do think if there is a collective movement 
Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's possible. Well, and if we do nothing, then we for sure won't. So, <laughs> you know, we can at least take a step in in the right direction. Um, if people would like to order some beautiful clothing or, you know, get in contact with you, find out more about what you're doing or even get involved, um, where can they find you? you can find us on our website, theintersection.ca. Uh, and we're on, we're pretty active on social media. So you can find us on Facebook and you can find us on Instagram at the intersection fair trade. Um, yeah, we post there almost daily and then you can shop online. You can connect with us. Uh, we love to have conversations. So send us an email and you do wholesale. You sell wholesale as well. This is how we get ours. And you have a printing we do have side a print. of the company now. Yes, which is, that was our first step towards income generating projects here. Um, and our hope is to be able to bring somebody on full time in that position. So I know it's been good. So yes, we do printing. So if you have screen printing needs. It only makes sense <laughs> that we would, you know, do that from a company that's also doing that. Not because one's better than the other, but because it is aligned with what it is that we're doing. Our, our very last question that we also ask everyone. I'm not very original. I guess I ask everyone the same questions all the time. I don't know, but I just like the questions. Um, I don't know. I mean, I assume you're a coffee drinker. Um, If you could have your coffee exactly the way that you like it, um, who would you be drinking it with? What would you drink? Where and when? Oh, the who? That's a hard one. I really (laughs) like anybody. I would pick somebody I don't know because I think it's time to get to know somebody. Where? I, that's my new favorite answer. That's the best. Nobody has said somebody I don't know. That is so great. Sorry, continue. I love that. Uh, I am, you know, and I know people have opinions about this. I am a misto or latte drinker and that or flat white. And that really came out. I lived in Australia for quite a while. And so flat whites are life over there. And that's what you drink. I Where, should be in Australia. I'm the same. I make all these like drink syrups and create them like a little mad scientist. And But when I make my own drink, it's literally a flat white, maybe a little bit of maple syrup because I'm from Southern Ontario. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm actually so boring, <laughs> but so good. Uh, yeah, that's all I would have in Australia. You know, again, really any kind of cute cafe you could find me there or someone's house. I am like not not picky when it comes to coffee i just love i associate coffee with people those two things yes go together for me and like i honestly don't drink coffee alone like i just wouldn't make myself coffee it for me it's like such a social thing and even though i own my own little coffee shop every weekend my husband and i and our kids like we go into vancouver and we find a new coffee shop that we haven't visited yet and we just hang out there and we just it's such a part of our family life and um, our weekly rhythm, even with our staff, like we love to go out, check out new coffee shops. And... Oh my gosh. I'm totally going to crash, crash your party when I'm in BC sometime. <laughs> I'm just going to show up at that random coffee shop. That sounds amazing. <laughs> coffee tour in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, would you do that? Oh my gosh. For sure. We'll like yeah. compare and contrast the flat whites of every <laughs> coffee shop. Um, this has been amazing, Megan. Honestly, I kind of feel like I was just sitting having a coffee with you, even though it's, you know, really late here. So I'm not having a coffee. Um, I yeah, I think you know that we so appreciate um what you and your husband are doing for 
you know, many, many, many people around the world. And um, also, you know, for, for our own customers who are buying our merchandise or, you know, whatever it is, you're, um, the way that you're running your business intentionally um, is making a huge impact, whether you feel like it is every day or not. And yeah, we love you guys. We think it's amazing. Really Please don't stop. <laughs> oh, we love our partnership with you guys. Love fun, but yeah, thanks for doing this. Well, you heard it here first. Ethical business practices and ethical clothing and the quality of life they provide for so many is not a joke. We are so proud to get all of our Wildly Fair merch from Megan and her team at The Intersection. And good news, ordering has opened up again. We have new designs, new colors, and styles that you are going to love. And as of now, not only are they made in fair trade boutique factories around the world, they are printed by a survivor of human trafficking in BC. I know my heart pretty much jumps out of my chest every time I put an article of clothing on. They look and feel so good on all the levels. Go order yours today if you want it by Christmas. Thanks for listening in. As always, tell your friends and family about us and leave us a review so we know what you're loving and learning on the Wild and Free podcast. We love you, fam, and we'll see you next time. P.S. It will be sooner than January 1st because we have a Christmas surprise for you. Subscribe so you don't miss it.